Hovercross. Yeah, let's give him a round of applause. Good morning, Rivercross. It is so good to see you. It is always so good to be home. I'm glad you're glad to see me too. <laughs> I love hearing the stories of how God is at work in you and through you, stories like the Acers and all your stories, wherever you're at in your journey with Christ. A special welcome if you're new here. I know it takes extra courage to start finding your way in a new church, so glad you're here. And I serve with the Canadian Baptists of Atlanta, Canada, and we've been challenging each other, as Rob said, to join God in our neighborhoods, that we join God in the places where we live, work, study, and play. And so this morning in our time together, I want us to think a little bit about one of the key elements God uses in changing our neighborhoods, and that's our tables. Because something that I know is true of every one of us, every one of us in this room, everyone out there, is we all need places to belong. Places to belong, places to be known, to be loved, to be accepted. And it doesn't matter what age we are, it doesn't matter our relationship status, doesn't matter our lifestyle, we all need those places to belong. Because belonging is powerful. And one of the things I am most thankful for in this season of my life is the way that Joe and Emma and Isabel have welcomed me into their hearts and their family and given me belonging. Uh, some of you might know that Joe and I are getting married on August the 3rd, and we can't wait. Try not to bombard them too much after the service, but they are here with us today, so that's awesome. Uh, and so I'm so thankful for the way they've given me belonging in their family and their extended family. But it's also leading me to all kinds of new and interesting experiences, taking me to uh, new things that I haven't experienced before where I feel very out of place and like I don't belong here. So let me give you an example. Let me tell you about the first time it was my job to pick up Emma and Isabel at their schools. So, I arrive at their middle school and their elementary school that's side-by-side side in Salisbury, and it's very clear that there is a set system that works like clockwork, and you dare not go outside the lines. There was two lanes, and so I had that much figured out. There was one lane for dropping off kids in cars, there was one lane for the buses, and so I thought, okay, I won't go in the bus lane. And I started going down the car lane. But then this lady looked at me and she goes. <laughs> and in that moment, it was the worst condemnation ever. Turns out the kid drop-off lane is not the same as the kid pickup lane. So I did the U-turn of shame as all the parents glared at me. Finally found a parking spot, and thankfully, Emma from the middle school found me, so I didn't have to find her. And then we trekked over to get Isabel from the elementary school while she was in an after-school program. And in between where I was and where Isabel was at the playground, there was this huge mud puddle. And these other parents, parents and guardians had these stylish hunter boots on, and they were just walking through that mud puddle like the boss, and I was on the edge of that mud puddle, clearly in my wrong, no-name Walmart little black flats, <laughs> going, what do I do here? 
So I started wildly waving to Isabel, saying, Isabel, we're over here, come to us, because I wasn't going to get through that mud puddle. And then I start thinking, uh-oh, they're going to think I'm kidnapping this child. <laughs> well, finally, Isabel, Emma, and I all got reunited, and we made it to my car, and I'm driving away in my now very dirty black little flats, no-name flats, thinking, I do not belong here. I'm bright red, thinking, get me out of here as quickly as I can. Have you ever been in that kind of situation where you look around and you go, oh man, I do not fit here. This is not my niche. I do not belong. Maybe you go to a gym and you look around and you think, these people haven't even ever looked at a cookie. And what's this language they're talking? Keto and KMX and, and burpees and wads and TRX. What are they talking about? Get me out of here. And you're breaking out in a sweat even before the workout starts. <clears throat> Maybe you go to a senior's home and you look around and you go, I'm a spring chicken compared to these oldies. I don't belong here. Or maybe you go to a coffee shop and you don't understand what they're asking you when they say, hey, do you want a venti or grande? And then they say, hey, do you want room? And you're thinking, I didn't come here for a room, I came here for coffee. <laughs> but for some of us, that not having a place to belong, not having places to be known and loved and accepted, having that feeling of not belonging goes even deeper, doesn't it? For some of us, we've experienced it in our own schools, our own workplaces, even in our own families. And wow, does it sting when we don't belong and we feel that I do not belong here. Because the truth is every single one of us was created by God to need those places of belonging. We need those places where we're known and we're loved and accepted. And so today I just want to take some time to look at the belonging that God himself extends to each and every one of us and how that can overflow from us to others in our city. In this sermon series where you're looking at the grace effect and how we receive God's grace and we overflow with that grace to others, I want us to think about this gift of hospitality, this gift of belonging that we receive from God and we can pass on for others. And for me, those places of belonging have often involved tables, hospitality around tables, just ordinary picnic tables or family tables or breakfast tables where I've experienced experience that sense of belonging with others and with God. And so let's think about table today as this place of belonging that God has created and we can create. And I want us to look at King David and who he cho chose to invite to his table. And so this is found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. You can look it up on your phone or I'll have it up on the screen where there's a red Bible under the chair in front of you. And let's look at King David's table in 2 Samuel 9. I'm going to interrupt the story a couple times along the way. So 2 Samuel chapter 9, starting at verse 1. David, so David's the new king. David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Okay, let's pause right away, because why would David want to show kindness to the house of Saul? See, Saul was the previous king, and just so we're all clear, he was not very nice to David at all. In fact, he chased him all over the countryside, trying to kill him. So why would David want to show kindness to the house of Saul? Well, Saul, the previous king, had a son named Jonathan, 
And Jonathan and David were best friends. And so David wanted to show kindness to the house of Saul. Maybe just because David had this amazing loyalty to the previous king, even though the king was crazy. Might have been for political reasons that David was trying to unite the the two divided kingdoms in his day of of Judah and Israel. Uh, But I think it was primarily because he had been friends with Jonathan. And even though now his best friend Jonathan is dead and gone, he still wants to honor his friend. And when you have that belonging with a friend, that closeness with a friend, it sticks. And so he asks around, hey, is there anybody left from my friend's household to whom I can show kindness? It goes on in verse two. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Zippah. They summoned him to, he- to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Zippah? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there still... Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Zippah answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Zippah answered, He is at the house of Makur, son of Emil, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makur, son of Emil. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. Let's pause there, because I think Mephibosheth would arrive very afraid, very unsure of what was going to happen. Do you know what a king usually did to the previous king's family? Any guesses? You got it. Kill them. You didn't want them rising back up to take back the throne. And so Mephibosheth would arrive very afraid. And it tells us Mephibosheth is from this place called Lodabar. Lodabar literally translated means no place. Maybe you thought you were from the middle of nowhere. Where are you from, Mephibosheth? No place. And so he would show up at the king's palace feeling like a country bumpkin pulled out and plopped at the king's palace feeling very unworthy, very out of place, very afraid afraid of what was going to happen. But it continues in verse 6. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Notice that's not the servant's table, not a separate table, the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Okay, we gotta take a time out there, because why is Mephibosheth calling himself a dead dog? See, the truth is Mephibosheth is feeling maybe like we feel at times when we go somewhere and we look around and we go, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I'm never going to fit here. See, Mephibosheth, we learn, was crippled in both feet. And in his day, that meant a life of real hardship. It meant he probably had to beg to get enough money to have food. Uh, It meant he struggled to survive. Uh, It meant he probably struggled to have a place to live and a roof over his head. It also meant he was probably excluded from a lot of things. Uh, We know that according to the religious rules of the day, he would be considered religiously unclean. 
And so he would have been excluded from a lot of the religious gatherings. Uh, the priests and religious leaders would have avoided him, thinking he was unclean and unsafe to come near. And so for all these reasons, Mephibosheth seemed to carry his shame around with him. The meaning of the last part of his name, Bosheth, actually means shame. And so most uh, commentators translate his name as dispeller of shame. How'd you like that? Hey, what's your name? Dispeller of Everywhere he went, this cloud followed him. You know someone like that in this season? Maybe you've gone through seasons like that, past hurts, past mistakes, just life. And it feels like this cloud of shame is just following you in this season. Those are hard seasons, and it's hard to find places of belonging, places to be known and loved and accepted when you have that cloud of shame. And so Mephibosheth carries this dispeller of shame everywhere with him, and he says, hey, you know what? Out in the real world, I feel like a stray dog as good as dead. So calling himself a dead dog is his way of saying, hey, king, what's going on here, king? You and I both know I don't deserve to even be on your doorstep. I'm not qualified to be here. I don't deserve to be here. I don't fit with your kind. You're the king, and I'm like a stray dead dog. I don't belong at your table, king. We're worlds and worlds apart. And I guarantee you there is people in your neighborhood, people right in this room here today that have felt like that. Because part of the reason River Cross Church exists is to notice people that are feeling like stray dogs in our city, in our row, in our neighborhood. Because that's why Jesus came. For those that are feeling like stray dogs and lost sheep. And I'm so glad that the story goes on in verse 9. Then the king summoned Zippa, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Zippah had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Zippah said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands a servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Zippah's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Don't you love that line? He always ate at the king's table. They said it three times in this account. I don't think they want us to miss it. David knew how to build tables, invite people into his circles. This just wasn't just friendliness at the door. This wasn't just having one coffee with somebody. This wasn't just turning around and saying hi on the Sabbath. This was an invitation to the table, an invitation to belong, an invitation to become family. It was the grace effect at work receiving God's grace and passing it on to another. And so let's think more deeply about our tables. And if we think about tables as a symbol of that place of belonging, that place where we can give each other places to be known and loved and accepted, as I think about the table 
First thing I think about is, well, when we come to the table, at least we admit some of our humanity, some of our need, in that we come to the table because we all have the need to eat. You gotta eat at some point to survive. And it doesn't matter if you're young or old, CEO or service provider, the student or the teacher, the manure shoveler or the polo player, doesn't matter who we are, we all have to eat to survive. And so we all come to the table at least with that admission of our humanity, our need. And the place, the table is meant to be the place where our humanity, our need is welcomed. But the truth is, my needs, your needs, they run so much deeper than hunger, don't they? Our needs, our longings go so much deeper than just hunger. Our humanity goes so much deeper. And so our humanity is meant to be welcomed at the table. Not just our hunger, but those deeper needs. And then it's often so much easier for us to just paste on the smile or use the filters on social media. But think about the invitation to show his humanity that King David give, gave to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth definitely came with need. He was lame in both feet, and so we know survival was difficult for him, so he came with that need. Uh, we know that Mephibosheth, both his dad and his granddad were dead, so he came with the need for protection and for family. Uh, Mephibosheth, we know, came questioning his own self-worth. Was he just a dead dog? Or was he worth any more than that? And he discovered at David's table, it was this place where he was welcomed just as he was. Welcomed, crutches and all, loneliness and all, doubts and all. And that's what true hospitality is. Creating space and safety for one another, for others to be human, to be vulnerable, to take off our masks and be safe, to come as they are. And our humanity is welcomed at the table. Maybe our needs are much less obvious than Mephibosheth, but we all come with needs and with messiness. And what a table it's supposed to be. A table where we can come and say what we're going through, say our challenges, be vulnerable, admit our weaknesses, admit our sins, and be safe. Because that's the gospel. That's what happens in Jesus. That we are invited to Jesus' table with our brokenness, our uncertainty even, our sin, and we bring that to Jesus' table and he welcomes us in and gives us a seat around that table and makes us new in his love. And that's deep biblical hospitality. That's what we see in the Bible, what they mean by hospitality, that we would give other people this place to be safe and real and human, crutches and all, loneliness and all, doubts and all, sin and all, and they'd find a welcome in us. So that's the first thing I want us to think about as we think about this table as a place of belonging, that it's a place where we're allowed to be human. But the second thing I want us to think about as we think about this table is it is, I think, supposed to be a representation of the Lord's table, God's table itself, the king, the ultimate king's table, where, yes, we come with this admission of our humanity, our sin, our need, our brokenness, and we're welcomed, but there's more to the table. You know, the same uh, King David wrote a lot of the Psalms that we have in the book of poetry in the Bible. And in Psalm 23, verse five, the same David wrote his experience of what it's like 
to know the Lord and be at God's table. And in Psalm 23, verse five, David wrote, the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. And so David's testimony of what it's like at God's table is he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And maybe you hear that and you think, that doesn't sound like good news. A table where my enemies are? No, thank you. But in the ancient world, there was this tradition that if you were enjoying hospitality at somebody's table, it was like yelling, time out. Remember when you used to do that when you're a kid? You're playing tag and someone's about to get you, so you yell, tea, gotta tie my shoe. And they can't tag you? Well, this was like yelling, tea, where you were safe. And so if an enemy had something against you, if someone, you owed someone a debt, they couldn't come and find you while you were enjoying hospitality at the table. You were safe, safe from your enemies, safe from those that wanted to come after you. You were safe. The Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. David's testimony is that the Lord anointed his head with oil when he experienced the Lord's table. The oil in scripture uh, has two main symbols uh, associated with oil. The first is setting people apart to show that they really are God's anointed, part of God's family, called by God. And the other symbol uh, associated with oil in scripture is that of great joy. And so David's experience, he's saying, you anoint my head with oil. This is what it's like at the Lord's table. It's like you've set me apart and give me a seat in your family and you, you are overjoyed that I'm there. The oil pours over my head. And so his experiences at the Lord's table, it's like this place where the Lord says, oh, I am so glad you're at my table. Thank you for being here. I take delight in you. I love hearing from you. Tell me more what's on your heart. That's David's experience of what it's like at the Lord's table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. One of the other traditions of hospitality in the ancient world is if you were enjoying dinner at someone's table and they had this sort of secret symbol, if they let your cup run dry, any guesses what that was supposed to signal to you? Yeah, you got it. It was time to go, you had outstayed, you're welcome, you better get out of there. But what if your host kept filling up your cup? It was their way of saying, oh please stay, stay longer, I'm so enjoying your company. Friends, God fills our cup to overflowing. He says to us, you are welcome at my table. I want you to stay. In fact, I want you to stay forever. I fill your cup to overflowing. Friends, this is what it's like around the Lord's table, a place of safety, a place of joy, a place where the welcome never, ever goes away. Doesn't that sound like a good table? The Lord wants you at his table. He invites you to this table, this table of safety, joy, and welcome. Have you said yes? Have you said, yeah, I'll come to the table? Jesus, I accept your invitation. And when we have said yes, and we've experienced what it's like around the Lord's table, we then have a responsibility, a privilege, to invite others to the king's table. 
and invite others to our table that they might experience through us a taste of God's safety, God's joy, God's welcome. Because that's what I think happened here between David and Mephibosheth. David's experience was, God, I have experienced you as that place of safety, that place of joy, that place of welcome. So what does he do? He turns around and extends that to Mephibosheth and gives Mephibosheth that place of belonging, that place of safety, that place of joy, that safe place of welcome. So that through King David, Mephibosheth might be able to say, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so every one of us in this room is a minister of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so I can think of nothing greater than us having the privilege of inviting others to the Lord's table and that through us they might get a taste of what is like at God's table. Through us they might get a taste of safety, a taste of joy, a taste of a welcome. That like King David from Mephibosheth, we would be table builders because it's around our tables. This is how God works in our neighborhoods, in our tables, our hockey teams. Through us, God welcomes strangers and they become family as people taste and see that the Lord is good through us. So have you ever thought of it that way, that your tables, your circles are actually supposed to be a representation of the Lord's table? Your ordinary breakfast table, your ordinary cafeteria table, your ordinary hockey team table, your ordinary foosball table, your table at Tim Hortons is a place where God's grace is at work to knit your life purposefully together with other people's life so that through you they might be able to say, oh, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so if your table and my table is supposed to be a representation of the Lord's table, how are we doing? Who's around your table? Who's around my table? Are the Mephibosheths, the different, the lame, the broken, the come from a ways, the newcomers, the refugees, the rebellious teenagers, someone in a, a different financial bracket or age bracket, a different marital status, a different pocket of society, a different ethnicity, are they welcomed at your table and mine? And are people experiencing God's safety, God's joy, God's deep welcome at our tables? What would it be like around our tables if people were able to say, yeah, I've tasted God through the people of River Cross Church? Can people show up at our tables, at our church, with their humanity, with their needs, no mask, and find a welcome? Are we creating Christian circles and communities where people can come in with gaping wounds and bullseye sins and we'd not just say, hey, come sit in my row, but we'd say, hey, come, join my circle, join my table. Are people getting a taste that the Lord is good through you and I and that they might experience a taste of what it's like at God's table through our tables? And see, church, I really believe we can do this. Even people like me that get confused in the school pickup lane, even people like me that I would say I do not have the gift of hospitality, uh, the height of my cooking skills is making toast. Uh, I'm serious, and if I av add avocado and cheese to it, it's downright gourmet. <laughs> and if you don't like avocado, sorry, we're out of luck. But that doesn't let me off the hook. 
I still have the responsibility and privilege of extending this hospitality to others because God has welcomed me into his family and I want others to experience God's safety, joy, and welcome through me. So what might it look like for me who doesn't have the gift of hospitality and maybe you who doesn't? Well, it means, th- means things like the places I regularly go or you regularly go. So from one of the places for me, it's the gym. It means going out of my way to connect with the newcomer and make them feel welcome. Saying hi and asking about their life and being their partner through the exercise, exercises and encouraging them after the first class when they can't lift their arms at all. It means things like when I come to church, that I know, even though I'm not on staff here, taking a few minutes and standing at the back before I sit down and just noticing who's sitting alone or who could, lead, uh, who could use an extra welcome, some extra hospitality this morning. It means things like noticing the people at the school when you're dropping off the kids or at your workplace or at your coffee shop that are feeling out of place. It means in our city, welcoming the refugees and the newcomers, seeking to share with them. Yes, it might be some material things like uh, some of our furniture, kitchen supplies, but maybe it's some knowledge like how do you navigate the school pickup lane? Or where do you go for the best deals on groceries? Or purposefully shopping in the places where uh, newcomers to Canada are trying to make a go of it and starting a store or serving to support them and encourage them along the way. It means things like even though the height of my cooking skills is toast making, intentionally every week at least hosting somebody in some way. So sometimes that's just talking to a neighbor for a longer time in the yard taking someone out for coffee or giving someone a ride somewhere so we can chat along the way. Or sometimes having people into my house for toast or tea or my baking special, whatever was on special at Sobey's Bakery, but inviting people in. It means things, hospitality means things like giving up your seat at Rivercross or your parking spot or your favorite time of service. So it's making it a little bit easier for the newcomers to Rivercross. Hospitality means things like slowing down at the grocery store or slowing down at the restaurant and noticing the people that are serving you and looking them in the eye and asking them about their day and their life. It means things like, yes, still inviting people into our homes. Not for a perfect time, but for a real time. Even a messy time. Doesn't matter if you have burnt hot dogs and leftovers. It's inviting people into the table, that place of safety, joy, and welcome. And hospitality is using our words to explain to others how God himself invites them to his table using our words to explain the good news that Jesus invites them just as they are, even when they're feeling like a stray dog or a lost sheep, invites them to the table that they might be changed by his love and experience directly for themselves God's safety, God's joy, and God's welcome. So fellow ministers of the gospel, this is our high calling to invite people, especially people that are feeling like stray dogs, to the Lord's table, to our tables, that they might taste God's safety, God's joy, God's welcome through you and I. 
And so our homework, me included this week, is sometime in the next seven days, invite someone new into your circle. Invite someone new to your table. Extend hospitality to someone's new, someone new so that through you, their testimony might be one day, oh, I tasted and saw God's safety, God's joy, God's welcome through them. I believe in you, church. I believe that God is working in you and through you. I cannot wait to hear the stories of how many people in this city experience God's goodness through you. Can we pray together? Well, Heavenly Father, we love you and we need you. We say thank you today. Thank you that you would extend to us this amazing invitation to your table. And that at your table, you might give each and every one of us your safety, your joy, and your welcome. Just thank you, Jesus, for making that possible. And God, fill us to overflowing with your welcome so that each and every person in this room may be known as someone that extends your hospitality to others. Oh God, we pray that people may be able to say that they tasted and saw you through us. God, we want to be a people that others could say they tasted and saw your goodness through each and every one of us. So God, let that overflow from this place and into the city and into our homes. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.